Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Well, good morning there, my friend. Good morning to you, Gary. How have you been? Oh, I've been ducky, especially with all this rain every weekend. I hope you're doing uh, better than I am. It's depressing, you know. Especially on weekends. Usually this time of year you got decent weather to be out and about enjoying the the festivals and the transition to fall. And then this year it's like every weekend is just a downer. You know, I got to tell you, for as much as you're you're right, you're a pretty popular guy. I get asked about you, uh, boy, by so many people when I'm out and about – People are even, they're telling me, you know, Gary, I'm not looking for a house right now, um, and I may not even next year, but I love that show. Rob is, this guy really knows his stuff, uh, stuff, and I love, I just love the show, that they feel that they know you, and that when they are ready, and maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's two years from now, um, you're the man, you're you're who they're going to, so uh I guess that's. I mean, it's a. It's sad that they're not doing anything right now, but you're you're planting yeah. seeds. That's for sure. Yeah, hey, that's why I do the show. I'm out there to put knowledge, and most people only get a mortgage a couple times in their entire life, right? Right. But yeah. I do this every day, so. Uh, I mean, we've talked about many times, you need that advisor or someone to show you the way. And I have dozens of clients right now that came to me that aren't ready. You know, they're six months away, a year away, a couple years away. And I have some recent closings, Gary, that I've been working with for well over 12 months to get them into position. So I don't remember the exact statistic I heard, but there's just a huge cohort of people right now that that seed is planted that they want to buy a home, whether they already own one and want another home or whether they're buying their first home. And because of the media, because of the propaganda that's out there from the media about uh, negatives against housing in the real estate market, you know, scare tactics, Mm -hmm. I would say. And because of that, a lot of people are like, well, they're talking about these rates high, so as soon as I hear they're going down, I'm getting in. And other people going, oh, I hear the prices are way too high right now. I'm not getting involved in that. But as soon as I see those prices go down, I'm getting in. So there's like, and it's the most I've ever seen in my entire tenure in the industry of so many people ready to pull the trigger on buying a home when something else happens, right? It's like the (laughs) issue is that everybody is thinking the same thing. And there's a saying in investing that says, whatever the masses are doing, you want to do the opposite, right? I've heard that, So I almost feel bad for some of these people, Gary, because... We all, in the industry, we all know what's going to happen when the rates go down. We all know what's going to happen if and when prices, you know, retrieve a little bit. But unfortunately, it doesn't rhyme with lower prices. No, you'll have more people going for homes. That's for the same home. So when you look at the math behind it, it ends up being, okay, instead of a 7% rate, you're going to get, let's say, a 5% rate. Great. But instead of you know, instead of let's say five hundred thousand, now you're paying six hundred. So when you actually look at the numbers, you are not getting ahead financially yeah. doing it that way. You're not because you're not paying less per month. People think in their head, "I'm paying less per month because the rate is lower," but you're buying the house for more money. So I just got off a call uh, earlier this morning with a client who had that 
mentality, you know, in their head of like, well, I'm just going to wait. But when we looked at the numbers and kind of hashed it out, it was like, I have to move. I don't really have time to wait for Mm. this to happen, especially if it's going to take a while. Um, And that's what it is. If you have to buy a house right now because of your family situation or whatever it is, there's a lot of reasons that you need to buy a house. Stop just looking at the numbers. Yeah, the numbers are important, but they're not the most important thing. A house has a utility to it, right? It's a place to put your head. And when we're not talking about investors, we're talking about primary homes, people that actually live in the home. You know, it takes a whole new meaning. And people were buying homes when interest rates were 17, 18, 21%. And they will continue to buy homes even if that happens now. Maybe a lot less people, but there's still people every day that you know, have kids and get divorced and get married and all these things that require, you know, them to buy a home. So unfortunately, the affordability is getting difficult, right? That's the big deal, the affordability. So what I wanted to hone in on today's episode is something we've never talked about before, but I think it's so opportune right now. And that topic is going to be co-living and co-buying, exploring solutions to share home ownership. Well, what does that really entail, and and how do they differ from, let's say, traditional housing arrangements? Right. So co-living and co-buying are going to involve, like, sharing living spaces and costs with others. When we're talking about co-living, that involves, like, renting a room or renting an apartment within a larger property. Usually those have, like, communal spaces and amenities. Co-buying, on the other hand, means multiple parties jointly buying and owning a property together. And they can differ from normal mortgage or normal finance uh, or housing scenarios because there's an emphasis on the shared living, the shared expenses, the collaborative ownership. And the reason this is top of mind right now is because many have looked at home prices in the last couple years and they've seen homes that maybe were 250 or 300 a couple years ago and they're now 100,000 or more higher and that's defeating to say wow that house that I saw years ago that was affordable now it's not affordable anymore what can I do to get into that home right and this is the this is the option that's out there now this is I would say the future of housing, you know, if housing continues to increase, if we see these property values stay supported and go up, as many are saying they will, for many, this is going to be the only option to become a homeowner is to either have other people come in and rent rooms from you or, you know, co-live in your space in order for you to make extra money or share that expense with somebody else, a friend, a family member, where you'll both go in on it together. Now you have dual incomes. Now you have, you know, someone else to help with the expenses, and it makes it a lot more feasible. It really well, does. I, all right, so that's going to take me kind of into my next question. What are some of the primary reasons people or groups of people would even consider co-living or co-buying as, as a housing options? I mean, there's got to be benefits to this arrangement, right? right? Yeah, and when you think about it, It's a little bit uh, disheartening to say, well, I'm going to buy a home, but it's not going to be mine. Like, I'm going to have someone else there. I'm going to have someone else that's buying it with me. Because a lot of people buy homes to get out of that shared living situation, right? The number one reason is affordability. Like, people don't do this for their health. They do it for the affordability aspect. That's the number one reason is 
Now, instead of you just paying that electric bill every month, now you've got someone else to share that with you. Now, instead of you paying that big mortgage payment every month on mm -hmm. your own, mm -hmm. now you've got somebody else you know, to help you with that. Now you've got somebody else who is vest invested in the property with you. There's other reasons, though, and the other reasons would be social connection, especially like if you're single and young, living in a house all by yourself all day, I mean, hey, it's not ideal. So a lot of people, they want that social connection. You can have that by, by having a co-living or co-buying arrangement because there's going to be other people in your home with you. It's not just you. Um, flexible living arrangements is a big deal, too, because in a lot of these cases, um, you've got a lot of flexibility. Like if you're renting a room from somebody, usually that's a short-term scenario. You're not doing that for years, so that gives you flexibility. And if you as a homeowner are renting a room out to somebody, then obviously you've got a lot of uh, elasticity with your pricing. So somebody might come in and rent a room from you for, say, six months, but what about at the end of that six months? What if the rent prices have gone up? You can command more money for that, which gives you more profitability renting your space out, right? So by having these shorter term, these flexible uh, scenarios, you have a lot more control over what you're charging. Whereas like me, I've gotten one of my properties a tenant, he's on a two year lease. Mm -hmm. So even if property values soar and rent values go up significantly, he's in a two-year lease, and I have no option to raise his rent until after that two years. So that's a huge thing. Um, access to amenities. You know, when you've got multiple people there, uh, I know it sounds crazy to call, like, uh, I don't know, maybe like outdoor furniture or video game consoles. I know that may sound crazy or stupid, but there's people that that's a big amenity to them to have access to that. When you've got a lot of people living in a home or multiple people in a home together, different families, different backgrounds, people have different things, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember, I'm thinking back to college, and I remember like one of my roommates had a bunch of really good gaming systems. I didn't have any of that. I was able to use his because we lived in the same place. So to me, that's an amenity. You can take, you know, take with that what you want. The companionship of having someone there, and then the ability to pool resources, like we're talking about financial resources and other resources, like just help with lawn care, help with maintenance around the house, help with fixing things. If you've got more than one head there in the house, it can make for uh, a great situation where maybe they're good at something you're not, and maybe now you don't have to hire a repairman to do something because the person that you're co-living with or co-buying with, they have that expertise. So from a financial perspective, how can co-living or co-buying help people, in especially navigating through challenges of high, you know, high housing costs and affordability? So co-living and co-buying can significantly reduce the housing expenses on an individual level. And that's why most people do it, like I said, because, Gary, we're talking about sharing a rent payment or a mortgage payment, you know? So take your mortgage payment, divide it by two. How much more affordable can that be? You know, if you're co-buying a property, then that's really what you're looking at. I've even had people buy with, with three people on a mortgage before. Um, utilities, same thing, you know, especially with us getting into the winter months here in the Northeast, there's oil, there's gas, there's heating expenses, there's plowing expenses, there's just upkeep maintenance of a home in the winter that it, it's got cost to it. And I know a lot of people, they go into debt over the winter. I've seen it myself. You know, the oil uh, prices creep up. Next thing you know, you're putting your next tank of oil on a credit card 
and the season goes by and I've seen clients with many, many thousands of dollars in credit card debt because of that or personal loans they take out because they can't handle that expense. By having a co-buying arrangement like this, or even co-living, these people can help you with these costs, which means more affordability. And then the real big deal long-term on this, Gary, is that by doing this co-living and co-buying, it means that you have more money Mm. to allocate to other priorities. And what I'm talking about there is, number one, saving money for the future, in a savings account, a rainy day fund. A lot of people don't have that nowadays. That's huge. If you're not paying as much to your mortgage, your rent, your utilities, maintenance, etc., that gives you more money to put into savings. And of course, investments, 401ks, retirement funds, just even brokerage taxable investment accounts. The reason most people don't have money for that is because so much of their money is going to their housing expenses that we're talking about. So if you can cut it even in a third, half, a third, just cut off some amount of that housing expense, now it gives you that money to be able to move forward and do these other things. So you don't have to pick, do I buy a house or do I invest? What about doing both? That's really the key to financial success. And if you don't do that, you're going to find yourself five, ten years down the line, yeah, your mortgage has been paid, but you don't have any savings, you don't have any investment. So this really bridges the gap to create that for people. So there's some common structures, right, for for co-living arrangements? And I would imagine, I mean, these structures got to affect the financing options and and mortgage considerations. They do, yeah. So the the co-living that I've seen in the common structure is somebody buys a house. You know, I have a client, we'll we'll talk maybe about an example here, but basically, you know, you have a house, you have a three-bedroom, but you're a single person. You only need one bedroom. These other two bedrooms are sitting there doing nothing. Well, let's see if we can rent it out, you know, rent out a room in a a home, Um, have that co-living arrangement, right? So that's a very, very common structure. Um, Obviously, everyone knows the structure of like an apartment building where everyone lives in one structure under the same roof and shares stuff, but they each pay their own rent, right? So that is a similar structure. Usually the co-living arrangement doesn't involve mortgage considerations because renters are not homeowners. So where the co-living comes into play is you as a homeowner renting rooms out to others to make ends meet or to lower your financial burden. And like I said, I've seen that quite a bit. But when we're talking about co-buying, when you're buying a property with other people, many times I've seen these, you're not related, right? So it's somebody buying it with a friend or buying it with, you know, a coworker or someone like that. So, you know, there are specific mortgage considerations to understand with that. But of course, we have to evaluate the credit and all the different things, right? So these are totally allowed. And there's a lot of options when it comes to mortgages for co-buying arrangements. There's no uh, discrimination with that. Um, they're not going to, a bank isn't going to tell you, at least the banks I work with, you can't buy this house because you're not buying it with a spouse. You can't buy this house if you're buying it with someone who's not related to you. There's plenty of options for that. There's plenty of flexibilities with that. So it's just one of those things to, you know, get on your feet with a mortgage advisor, with a realtor early, early in the process and get all that financing stuff hashed out so you and the person you're co-buying with, everyone's on the same page and it can be smooth. So co-living, co-buying arrangements, are you saying it could actually, you know, could it actually influence the mortgage applicant process? I mean, 
are, are there specific criteria that lenders are, are looking for or will consider in these cases? Yeah, so for co-buying, lenders are going to look at each buyer's financial qualification separately. So we're going to be looking at each credit report. We're going to be looking at each uh, applicant's income, debt-to-income, etc. So it can be a huge uh, positive to have two people on a loan, of course, because you've got more income, right? You've got more assets. Um, sometimes I've seen cases where on your own, maybe your credit's too low, but then we put on an additional person to co-buy the home with you, mm-hmm. and now the loan gets approved because that person has such strong credit, it kind of helps lift the sales, so to speak, right? So that's definitely a big thing. Um, co-renters, you know, they don't go through a mortgage application process. So, you know, of course, if you're someone renting out a home that's go or renting out rooms in a home, uh, you're going to want to be particular on who you're renting to, right? So you're going to want to go through your normal protocols of finding tenants, whether it be credit checks, references, et cetera. But for the purposes of uh, what we're talking about, mainly more focusing on the co-buying arrangement, that pre-approval is going to be key, right? We got to assess everything and make sure you and your co-buyer or co-buyers are all on the same page financially. And I've seen cases where one, or, one person's ready to go and the other is falling short significantly. Rather know that now than later so we can do things to, you know, right the ship, so to speak, right? So yeah. that's what it's all about. That's why we need to do this early. We always talk about getting pre-approved early. Nothing is changing when we're talking about co-buying. If anything, you want to get pre-approved earlier with co-buying arrangements because you don't know necessarily all the ins and outs of your co-buyer and their financial situation, credit, income, etc. So let us hash all that out. Let us put a specific plan together and then know whether you're ready to move forward immediately or whether we need to step back, regroup, and maybe make some changes. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. You can check out Rob online at www.robgw.com. And his phone number is uh, 860-413-3938. I will repeat both of those points of contact. I'll even throw in a free email address more towards the end of the show. All right, I want to talk about your role in all this uh, as a... Mortgage advisor, how does it play in as far as guiding clients that are interested in, I don't know, co-living or even co-buying process? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely the pre-approval is a big piece of it. As a mortgage advisor, that's going to be where I can come into play, is offering insights into the financing options, offering insights into what needs to be done to qualify for the property that you want to qualify for. Uh, so that's the huge part on the mortgage advice side. On the real estate, uh, as on the real estate professional end, it's going to be, especially in this market, considerations of what properties are going to work best for this. So if you're co-buying with somebody else, you might both want a big master suite or a big bedroom. Not all properties have that, right? So there might be specific considerations that you're going to need to understand, that your realtor is going to need to understand, to really pinpoint what properties, what areas are going to work best. Also, on the, on the co-living side, if you're buying a property to consider renting out rooms, you're going to want a specific property, right, that, that has certain things to make it more... Uh, I guess just to make it more flexible for multiple people to live in the same home. 
So I think what we're talking about here is the layout of the home, being conducive to have multiple people there. Um, again, in my head when I'm talking about this, I think back to like the, the fraternity house in college, right, where you have all these people living under one roof, and that's probably an embellished version of this. But, you know, it could be a three-bedroom home where you're renting out a room to a friend or you're renting out to a coworker or whatever. It's just a matter of making it comfortable for everyone, having that living room, having that area, the communal space where it's going to work. It's going to make sense. It's not going to make people uncomfortable. And that's where the real estate pro comes in, is knowing what your needs are, what your wants are, what your must-haves are, and then moving you in that direction. But I'll tell you, in this market, it is difficult to get all of your wants and needs because the inventory is so limited. So what we find happening a lot is that you end up having to spend a lot more money than maybe you thought or budgeted for in order to get all of your needs and wants met. And again, this comes full circle because that's what co-buying is all about. That's what co-living is all about is lowering that expense. So you can afford a more expensive home. You can afford to get the home that you want but you can afford it using this arrangement versus just winging it on your own. I mean, there's got to be potential downsides to all of these. There's got to be challenges associated with co-living or co-buying experience that people should be aware of, right? I would, I would imagine. There's huge challenges. <laughs> you know, when you're thinking about this, you can, you know, just think about the fact that there's a lot of disagreements with people every day, right? So... I would say in a co-living arrangement or co-buying, there's more disagreements because there's more decisions that have to get made. So the big challenges are disagreements among tenants or co-buyers, and it's really a major necessity to have clear, legally binding agreements with everybody. So whether you're buying with somebody, you, you know, and you need to put down on paper who's responsible for what or, you know, the financial aspect of it, who's going to pay what, or specific numbers, get a real estate attorney involved. You know, there's a lot of different cases where a real estate attorney is worth their weight in gold. This is one of them, right? This is one of those cases where spending a little bit of money on a top-notch real estate attorney with a lot of experience in these co-living, co-buying arrangements, it can save you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars because so many of these can go wrong. And when I see them go wrong or hear about them, most of the time it's because there was no written agreement. It's that simple. And make sure that your agreements with the tenants, if you have people renting rooms out in the co-living scenario, make sure that all of that is very, very specific. All of it's in writing and all of it has been vetted by a real estate attorney local to the area that you're in. Um, and understand that if you're buying a home with these arrangements, like we were talking about, generally the mortgage is not going to be any more difficult than a normal mortgage to get just because you have a co-buyer. But where it can get a little bit more complicated is if you're refinancing a property that has people renting rooms out and things like that. So check with your advisor on that. But for the context of our episode today, we're really focused on the home buying aspect, and that's where these legally binding agreements are going to be so, so important. I would imagine, you know, who gets the master bedroom comes in, or, or privacy. That's got to be an issue as well. Do you have any success stories that maybe you can share with us? 
that people can benefit from? Yeah, yeah. I have two in particular that I want to mention. I've only Number got three one minutes. Is a, a gentleman, a younger uh, gentleman that came to me. Actually, his parents were clients of mine years back. He came to me back in 2020 and, and bought a home. Brandon is his name from Hartford, and helped him get in his first home during the pandemic. And because he was single and he had a three-bedroom uh, three-bedroom condo, he was renting out rooms, like in the condo, right? So he was able to cover his mortgage to the point where he's only paying $300 a month to live in that property, okay? And be, it made sense for him because he's single. He's just starting out. His career is just, you know, getting going here. His long-term plan is not to stay here forever. This is a stepping stone for him. His long-term plan is to ultimately refinance the property, you know, cash out, use that money to buy something else, and then turn this one into a rental property and buy a new home with his uh, now girlfriend, ultimately his fiance and future wife. Like that's what his long-term plan is. But he's planting those seeds now, and he's able to live so cheap now because of this co-living scenario that he's able to put a lot of money away, right? He's able to invest and save and do all this stuff. So that's a great story. And the second one is a, a young lady named Zena out of Middletown. And Zena just recently bought a home with me. She actually came to me to get pre-approved like a couple years ago, and we kept hitting our head against the wall even then because she has a very, very limited income. She was making less than $40,000 a year, which in Connecticut, as a single person, that's a very difficult scenario to try to buy a home, right? Yeah, yeah. So after discussion, after just fact-finding, we found that her best friend also wanted to buy a home. And what we did was we did a co-buying arrangement where they both went on the mortgage together, they both live in the home together, they're building equity together, and they get to live as roommates. And the, their long-term plan is ultimately one of them is going to refinance to buy the other out and then be able to move on to their next their next property. So the theme that you'll hear here in the lesson that you'll learn is a lot of these arrangements make the most sense when you're either younger or you're earlier in your career or you need or you want more flexibility. Um, I would say it would be challenging to deal with like a co-living situation if you have kids running around the house, especially young ones. Um, that, and also on the other side, it'd be difficult if you're a senior to deal with all this stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. So being young definitely can help. But you can start building the long-term wealth now using these ideas instead of, like many, saying, oh, well, I'm just going to keep saving. I'm just going to keep trying to get my income up. I'm going to keep doing all this. Then next thing you know, it's three, four, five, ten years later, and you still haven't bought a home. All right, this so is a way for you to get in the game soon. I've got – oh, man. I, can you answer this question quickly? Any advice that you could offer people? Because I need to wrap this show up. Yes, research, number one piece of advice. Do a lot of research, get very, very clear agreements, and open communication is essential. Hmm. Financial stability and being compatible with the lifestyle of the person you're co-buying or co-living oh, yes. with is True. big. Long-term goals, all that stuff. Consult with realtors, lenders, and attorneys to make sure you don't make any big mistakes. I couldn't have said it better myself and in a timely manner as well. Folks, if you like more information uh, on this episode or any of the others, please head on over to www.robgw.com. By the way, if you'd like to get a question answered on these, maybe even next week, uh, simply send us an email at mortgagemattersradioshow at gmail. 
Com. And the phone number. If you want to schedule a consultation with Rob, uh, simply write this phone number down and give him a buzz. 860-413-3938. Again, it's 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. So long.